Welcome to Talking Biotech, the podcast dedicated to exploring the latest advancements in biotechnology, sponsored by Calabra, the R&D software that accelerates scientific discovery with AI. Each week, we'll dive into the latest innovations and discoveries with industry leaders and pioneers. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin Fulta. Welcome to the Talking Biotech Podcast. It's the weekly podcast about agriculture and medicine with an emphasis on biotechnology and the good things it can do for people and the planet. My name is Kevin Fulton. I'm a podcast host, a professor, and someone excited to be in the front seat of today's innovations. But sometimes in order to understand the future, we have to look backwards and ways in which biotechnology is being used to uncover questions of our past. And today we're going to talk about dinosaurs and their connections to modern day, probably avian dinosaurs. And we're speaking with Professor Alexander Vargas. He's a professor of evolution at University of Chile. And Professor João Botello, he's at the Catholic University of Chile. So uh, welcome both of you to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. So this is a really exciting thing to have on because I've seen the papers over the years and especially as uh, as the processes of gene editing are being used to understand how the relationships and uncover gene function related between uh, extinct animals and modern day birds. The problem I always had, though, is that as a kid, I was always learned about dinosaurs. The conventional belief was that their most modern direct descendants were reptiles. So how has this assumption been revised? An interesting thing uh, is that birds are, are reptiles, dinosaurs are reptiles. They're all, they're, they, they have their scaly feet and the, the eggs, right? The birds, that's where you may notice uh, a bit more clearly that they are reptiles. The, the debate once was, what kind of reptiles are they? Uh, right until the 1990s, uh, scientists were not all in agreement about which were the reptiles that gave origin to birds. And some would have been of the opinion that they would be closer to some other modern reptiles like you mentioned, like crocodiles. There were some scientists who thought they were closer to crocodiles. But then we started having these beautiful fossils from China, which were conventional dinosaurs, animals that everybody could agree were dinosaurs, that they were preserved with the feathers, and that pretty much put an <laughs> end <laughs> to that debate. So uh, currently now it is accepted that birds are the surviving lineage of the dinosaurs. They are nested within the group of the carnivorous bipedal dinosaurs. Some of these carnivorous bipedal dinosaurs uh, became f uh, large-brained, uh, developed wings from their proto-feathers, which they already had from some long time ago before they started looking like birds, actually, and, they, and became uh, birds. And these uh, coexisted with the other dinosaurs when the big extinction came at the end of the Cretaceous. And they were the only group of dinosaurs to survive. This is really great stuff. I, I absolutely love this. What were some of the other major lines of thinking? So you say it's from the fossil record. But when you look at the fossil record, what were the real tip-offs from anatomy? I guess you said feathers. But were there other suggestions and major morphological differences that perhaps connected modern day avian 
uh, animals or avian dinosaurs, if you will, to mm. the conventional bipedal dinosaurs of the Cretaceous. Yes, yes, there, there are plenty of skeletal uh, similarities. The feet are very much, very much alike, uh, a bird foot and a dinosaur foot, uh, with the exception that uh, the, the first, the perching digit in birds is opposable, right? But it was a, a very similar uh, foot with four digits, and the, that perching digit in dinosaur was, yes, smaller and in a higher position. It didn't touch the ground. It was like a, a due digit of, of, of a dog. There are many other similarities, especially in high limb structure, that are, yes, very evident. It's a, it's a slap in the face, we, we would say. This, this is why in the 19th century already we had people saying that birds are dinosaurs. Uh, Thomas Huxley, uh, the Darwin's bulldog, he said that uh, he, uh, birds descended from from dinosaurs. And there is something very interesting that the other main source of evidence is development. And if you see the development of a modern bird, it's so similar to a dinosaur that's really, really surprising that we didn't take it seriously for much of the 20th century. And that is a coincidence that's for sure not a coincidence that for mu much of the 20th century, we saw development of, as something not important to understand evolution. And, and actually, uh, Huxley some once said, if you, s if you could see a giant chicken embryo fossilized, we would say, this is a dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> Even though we for almost 50 years between the thirds of the, of the 20th century and the, almost until the end, we, we didn't take this hypothesis seriously. My wife is a farmer and we have chickens, ducks, geese, um, and uh, one more, turkeys. And the geese are very much like what you would expect when you think of them as dinosaurs. The scaly feet, um, just their, their, the noise they make sounds similar to what you would see walking through a jungle sometime back in uh, 65 million years ago. And the embryos, because we've had to open eggs to check the progress of uh, embryos that stopped developing. And it looks like a little dinosaur in there. But from your work, you've done some fine, finer resolution work on this, looking at specific bones, maybe parts of the skull. And what are some of the real hallmarks that really suggest the changes that happened um, that separate maybe the dinosaurs from modern avian dinosaurs? If you, if you eat a, a, a chicken drumstick, right, you will find this long spine-like bone. Uh, and that's actually one of the two bones of the, the lower leg. Usually, uh, reptiles and the ancient dinosaurs, the non-avian dinosaurs, had two well-developed bones there. The, more, uh, the one that's more to the outside, the fibula, is long and it reaches, it articulates with the ankle. But in the birds, that, that is no longer the case. So that what you eat, <laughs> what you recover when you eat the drumstick, that spine-like bone, is a fibula that has become reduced and is spine-like towards the foot and no longer articulates with, with the ankle. Now, when you see the avian embryo, it has the long tubular fibula articulating to the ankle, just like the ancient dinosaurs. And uh, the process uh, it, that by which this bone ceases to grow 
towards the foot and become spine-like, we have been able to investigate that, pro that process. And Joao did all that research. He's the real, real man that deserves the credit here. And uh, he actually was able to alter gene function. He altered gene expression and obtained uh, the, the development of that uh, bone back into a long tubular thing articulating in the to the ankle and got a leg of a chicken at a much later stage uh, when that would normally be reduced and, and already a spine-like thing. He has it just like uh, the ancient dinosaurs. So that's a really Jurassic Park-like experiment that <laughs> Joao was able to do. Well, we'll talk about that exact experiment in a second, but is the basic idea, and you know, Alex, maybe you can help me with this one, is the idea that the genes in the instruction manual of a dinosaur is somewhere latent in the chicken genome, and that it's just a question of maybe turning on a few genes here and there to be able to at least recover some of the traits? Certainly, yes. You can have... You have a, um potential, a potential for development like the ancient dinosaurs that has been demonstrated uh, experimentally uh, by that experiment and other experiments that Joao has done. But also previously, people have been able to obtain a development of tooth uh, tissues, for example, from chickens that no longer have teeth, like the ancient dinosaurs, which certainly were toothed. <laughs> so uh, the, definitely there, there is a potential Definitely many aspects of the embryo go through a dinosaur, a general dinosaur-like stage before they become more bird-like. And it's just a matter of, of stopping them or just keeping them at, at that, in that arrangement, in that pattern to get the, the ancient uh, characteristics uh, back. The, the gene editing thing, though, however, is a bit more of a problem. I'd say the potential is there, but the technology to actually carry it out is difficult in birds. Very few people work with gene editing in birds. They are a difficult model. It's not like the fly. It's not like the mouse. <laughs> Those are much easier to do all kinds of, of uh, genetic editing. Yeah. Okay, so we'll talk about some of the specifics of that on the other side of a break. Uh, we're speaking with Professor Alexander Vargas and Professor Joao Botello, and we're discussing dinosaurs, modern day dinosaurs, as the bird lineage, the avian birds we all know are actually direct descendants of dinosaurs. So this is the Talking Biotech Podcast, and we'll be back in just a moment. There's a time when we're called to engage in a tradition as old as apple pie and gun cleaning, meddling in the business of other foreign governments. This week, the Brexit-free United Kingdom made a historic move to break the shackles of biotechnological ignorance. Decisions were made to potentially not regulate gene-edited crops in the same way they over-regulate transgenics and other modifications containing foreign DNA. It was a progressive step to ensure a fast-track deployment of new innovation to help farmers and the environment while controlling European food costs. The European Commission is considering public comments. That's with regard to gene editing. If you live in the EU, please fill out the form. If you don't live in the EU, 
you should send one too. There's no question that legions of cut and paste crazies will blanket that website with Seralini rats and Vandana Shiva epithets. Barthober scientific community and its evidence-loving friends, there's a lot more of us than there are of them. So go to this catchy URL, ec.europa.eu forward slash info forward slash law forward slash better regulation forward slash have your say forward slash initiatives forward slash 13119 hyphen legislation hyphen four hyphen plans hyphen produced hyphen by hyphen certain hyphen new hyphen genomic technologies underscore en. Please write something that counters the crazy. Talk about the science and the potential benefits to EU producers. Remember that we hold the power to create the change we want to see. We just need to participate. Now we're back on the Talking Biotech podcast. We're speaking with two scientists who have been involved in drawing some beautiful conclusions between birds and dinosaurs and showing the direct lineage that's followed there by morphological as well as now some molecular biology evidence. And we're speaking with uh, Professor Alexander Vargas and Professor Joao Boteo. So we're, um, the experiments that were done were actually to test this hypothesis that there were genes associated with um, this change in bone and limb development. So I guess, uh, Dr. Boteo, um, what was exactly done to change a specific gene to create this more dinosaur-like phenotype in a chicken embryo? Well, I, I don't want to sound disappointing, but we didn't believe that gene addicting could explain everything for the development of a trait. So what we're trying to do, it's with the interaction between tissues and also the expression of genes. We tried, for instance, uh, manipulate uh, when things get ossified and when the influence of the musculatures acts over a bone. All this construction is important for development. Not everything are in the blueprint of the genome. So things have to emerge, uh, things have to wire up to each other, and changes in th- those processes can have consequences for the development. And what we have shown, for in- instance, is that uh, the action of muscles over the hallux, the, po- the, the big uh, toe from the foot, uh, is what causes that uh, birds are ver- uh, are one of the few vertebrates that can grasp things. They have an opposable uh, toe and they grasp because they have a slow ossification of a cartilage that's then uh, twisted by the action of the musculature. If you see a, a, a T-Rex or even an Archaeopteryx, you see that the finger, the sorry, the toe is hanging in the side of the foot, just like a dog, you know? And that, that toe got twisted 
in modern birds. And now they can perch, they can grab, they can even bring some food to the mouth as do as parrots do. That's very interesting because we never think of, uh, so we don't think of Tyrannosaurus as a perching animal, right? It Because it doesn't have, it does not grasp. That's something that's been derived in birds. Penguin, <laughs> the penguin is, hasn't got an opposable uh, digit one, the, the toe, the first toe is not opposable. But uh, the penguin is, is derived among birds. It's not a primitive condition that has lingered since dinosaurs. They had a twisted uh, opposable uh, toe, and it's gone back to being like, like a dinosaur. It, it can't perch. It can tell it very well with the fossil that you have there in the U.S. The Thermopolis specimen. It's in 3D, and you can tell. It, it's not an opposable toe. Well, this is really interesting because you were able to, so were you able to change the chicken embryo to remove that perching ability or was that a gene silencing trick with uh, gene editing or transgenics or how did you change that? Well, that, that's uh, one of our favorite experiments uh, because uh, it so happens that that twisting action is carried out by embryonic musculature. The, the muscles over that uh, on that digit are those that twist it into that shape that make it opposable. So we basically just applied uh, a pharmacological paralysis of the of the muscles, and and that would basically stop that twisting action that they had that were mechanically twisting this bone, and we got a, a dinosaur-like foot that way. <laughs> so it, that experiment in itself it did not involve uh, the the any molecular changing of, of gene expression uh, like we did with the other experiment, the one with the fibula. But le uh, let me g give you a detail. The ways we can do this is through some uh, chemical agents that can alter gene expression for specific genes. Uh, we, we targeted a gene in the, in the fibula experiment. We targeted a gene that's called sonic hedgehog because we have a chemical agent that can inhibit the signaling of this gene which is called cyclopamine. This was actually discovered because cows were eating a weed that produced cyclopamine naturally, and they started having one-eyed cows, one weird one-eyed cows. And this is how they discovered this, <laughs> uh, this cyclopamine, uh, <clears throat> which is important. Uh, it, it, it affects sonic hedgehog, which is a gene that's important in several uh, the development of several structures, not only eyes, but the <laughs> limb and other, the nervous system uh, and things like that. Um, of course, you can alter the, you can gene edit cells of the chicken. What's the, and you can now do that easier with CRISPR-Cas technologies. But what's difficult about the chicken, uh, because different model systems are, are have different uh, <clears throat> uh, capacity, they're, they're some harder than others to do gene editing. What's difficult in the, ch in the chicken is to hit the germline so that whatever gene editing you do will be inheritable in the next generation of, of chickens. Okay, As far as I know, I think this has only been done once and uh, to obtain a fluorescent chicken where <laughs> uh, genes that allow fluorescence were, were put into the germline and you have a fluorescent line of chickens. You can buy fluorescent chickens now. 
but it's not much what has been done with birds. Maybe Joao knows from about some other experiments. Because uh, the fertilized ovum is lost in the oviduct of the bird. And, you, and that's when you could alter it easily to obtain a, a, a bird that is completely genetically altered. Yeah. Otherwise, what you usually get is the egg. And the egg is, a, is already a, an embryo in there that is developing. When the, when the hen lays the egg, you already have uh, uh, several cells, a uh, blastodisc, as we would say, an early embryo. So this is different from mammals, where you can basically fertilize in the Petri dish and play with that and then put that into a womb. And You can't do that kind of thing with birds. Usually all you have to work with is already a, a partially developed embryo. That's when the egg is laid. So this is why gene editing is difficult in birds. And uh, you would have to try to, to strike the precursor cells of the germline in that embryo it's it's technically more difficult not because we don't have the molecular tools to alter edit the genomes of cells but because it's hard to hit the germline so all these uh, jurassic park uh, talking about that we can get uh, uh, chickens that have several characteristics and that would inherit them that's very hard to do we can do molecular experiments but it doesn't hit the germline you get this dinosaur like fibula but it's that chicken. The babies of that chicken, the next generation of those chickens, will not have those dinosaur-like fibulas because we did, we, we did not perform an experiment that would alter the germline. I always thought it would be interesting to be able to come up with birds with more dinosaur characteristics, and especially because Sonic Hedgehog is such an early operating gene in so many different developmental contexts. Do you see any other... Um, changes that happen when you apply cyclo cyclopamine, or is it really at a time when it affects that one trait? Well, it's very time sensitive, and you, if you put really, really early, you you get a cyclope. If you put a little bit later, you get less fingers, as and Alex did um, many years ago. And and if you go it late, you 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 get short bones. And etc. etc. So, yeah. And just to to add to Alex, it's kind of complicated also because chicks uh, take too long to get adult and lay egg again. So it's not a great model at all to <laughs> genetics. You have to wait at least six months to make a transgenic line if you have. I don't know. Uh, Drosophila, it takes two weeks, you know. About cyclopamine, we made a tyrannosaur-like chicken. Yeah? Tyrannosaurus has two digits, has two fingers. And if you add cyclopamine at the right time, it, instead of having the usual three digits, your chicken will be a tyrannosaur. It will have <laughs> the two more anterior digits. What are some of the other traits that have been uh, checked? You mentioned teeth. Um, has anyone made progress with tails or anything else? There's been a lot of talk about tails uh, because because the tail is so long in in the embryo. The embryo is does have a very different tail than the adult. Where the adult, all the tails, the tail vertebrae are fused, most of them, and they have this thing you know that's called the pygostyle, also popularly known as the Pope's nose. <laughs> Other names like that. It's not like that when it's an embryo. When it's an embryo, it's a it, all the vertebrae are separate, 
and it visibly has an amount of vertebrae that is similar to that the, of the ancient dinosaurs. So it does look very promising, uh, but so far there have been no experiments that can, that can stop that and leave that tail into a later stage as, as a, as a dinosaur-like tail. There's been lots of uh, speculation and comparisons to uh, experiments in mice. There are several experiments in mice that can lead to a short, stubby tail. So it's been it's been uh, speculated that maybe that kind of mutations were involved in the evolution from dinosaur to bird. Uh, but those those mice do not develop a full tail like bird embryos do. They just never develop any tail. So I think it's different. I don't think it's the actual same mutations that that were involved. But yes, the the tail looks promising. There are several characteristics in the body that go through a dinosaur-like stage. And in the skull, too, we found some uh, dinosaur bones that were thought to have been lost in evolution. They're actually actually still there in the embryonic skull. They just fuse very early to other uh, bones. So maybe those could be brought back if you want, if you manage to find a way to stop uh, that em embryonic uh, fusion. But the, the list, there, there's a long list of dinosaur-like traits in, in the embryo. But those that have actually been experimentally modified are, are not, not as many, but not too few either. We have the chicken foot that we did. We have the fibula. We have the teeth experiments. Uh, people at Yale uh, managed to get a dinosaur-like palate uh, from uh, modulating gene expression in, in the embryo. And we also have a crest that's on the leg, uh, <clears throat> on the shank bone, that's uh, very much like those of, of ancient uh, dinosaurs. And that crest can be made to disappear like even more ancient dinosaurs, even more primitive dinosaurs didn't have that crest. That crest is actually in dinosaurs and birds currently. It's uh, And... And it can be this. It can also be dis disappeared through uh, developmental experimentation with muscle activity. Muscle activity is is a, an interesting factor in transforming the skeleton from a dinosaur-like pattern to a bird-like pattern. Well, some people are playing with the distribution of uh, scales and feather in the head, in the foot. Are there any birds that show naturally occurring variation that suggest more dinosaur-like features? Yes. We have um, some birds, which I think could be cases of reversion uh, to dinosaur-like traits. I'm not completely sure. Maybe some more research is necessary, but the Hoatzin bird, it has some very well-developed claws on its hand and uh, on its wing, <laughs> but then it looks much more like a dinosaur ant than is normal for a bird. And I think this is a, a natural case. I think its ancestors probably didn't have those kinds of, of claws on, on its wing, and it's gone back naturally to a dinosaur-like uh, condition. The chest region of ostriches and many of the, the larger flightless uh, birds is also probably a case of reversion to a dinosaur-like condition. It is flat. Uh, and uh, uh, very dinosaur-like in several aspects, but it probably is descended from a more normal, <laughs> not-so-dinosaur-looking bird. So, yeah, we have some throwbacks, I would say, in bird evolution. But if there's this kind of conservation during bird evolution with dinosaurs, doesn't it suggest that there's an extremely ancient program that is dictating embryological development that 
something is conserved from you know now in 2021 all the way back to the dinosaurs and the Cretaceous and and before that we would share this common program in early development. Well, I think this is part of the problem. Why we didn't take seriously uh, development for understand evolution? Because we have a ghost. The ghost is the idea that the phylogeny, the evolution, is recapitulated during ontogeny. As this, uh, it means that it would be like during development, I go through my evolutionary history. I first, uh, I am first a fish, then I'm a reptile, then I am a monkey, and then I became a human. That idea was terrible, okay? But still, there is some, I would say, a lot of things that we can learn uh, studying development. And what we see in birds that many, many traits are um, first looks like a dinosaur and then they are transformed during development. Sometimes an earlier ossification, sometimes uh, a bigger brain. Yeah, birds have huge brain. Um, can transform the shape of the skull and sometimes you get a late ossification and then muscular activity uh, change bones. Ontogeny does not recapitulate evolution, but it creates it. It creates the evolutionary variation and modifications. Well, Dr. Boteo, Dr. Vargas, here's the point. And I know it's great to be able to play with individual traits and demonstrate you know, the, the, the genes that control perhaps traits that may be latent within the genome and contribute to limb development. But can we make, and I'm asking for everybody out there, can we make Jurassic Park and bring dinosaurs back to life? Some people ask, okay, let's make a dinosaur. And the point is, would we be able to keep a dinosaur in, in a zoo? We don't know, you know. We don't. Ha we are unable to keep a white shark in a, an aquarium. We don't know what they need. We like to think about everything is in a program, but uh, it's more complicated. Yeah, you know, physiology is complicated. Development is complicated. So I think if we get a T-Rex egg with a T-Rex genome. That would be just the beginning of the challenge. Oh, there's a lot of excitement, uh, and much of that excitement is, is, uh, can be blamed on our lab because we're making these Jurassic-like experiments and we're showing uh, so many aspects of the embryo that are dinosaur-like that many of these are completely new to science. And we're, we're showing, look, these um, dinosaur bones are still in the embryo. So we're showing the, all this huge dinosaur potential there. And there's a lot of excitement. And some talking like this thing is around the corner. Uh, but really, the, the challenges are huge. I mean, we've only got one fluorescent chicken. <laughs> and although we have some experiments that can produce these dinosaur-like characteristics, to know exactly what gene, okay, this, we're, we're attacking one step down in, 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 you know, the concatenation of events, you know, the scale of events leading to that. 
So actually finding the genes responsible, there's a lot of work just to find those genes responsible. And then you have the problems with gene editing in chicken. Uh, uh, and so, and it will be a huge work just to, uh, future work just to get, I would say, a chicken with a couple of dinosaur-like traits that were heritable, right? Not just this one-time experiment, but something that would actually pass it on to, to its descendants. So I think I will die and I would have just seen a chicken with one or two of of such uh, gene editing experiments, successful gene editing experiments. That's, I'm sorry, I think that's my realistic projection. The potential for dinosaurification is, is great. Of course, some things probably are lost forever. It doesn't mean that we will be able just to bring back a, a T-Rex or anything like that. Uh, um, for example, birds no longer have the, the genes for producing uh, the two teeth tissues, right? Dentine, en enamel, those, those genes are gone. They have eroded away. Who knows? Maybe some things are just impossible to, to bring back as well. But saying just because of the technical difficulties and because of all the research you would have to do to properly identify which is the gene you have to edit, just that step, you know, to say, this guy. It's, it's not that easy as it sounds. And uh, certainly I, I'm not expecting a, a dinosaur, a Jurassic Park, chicken soar uh, around the corner. And also, genomes have an organization. Genes are in chromosomes. And you have to f f uh, fig figure out how the genes are in the chromosome in the ancestral. And just to look, birds have the smallest um, genome of all ve uh, vertebrates. And this is very constraining. Birds can't be polyploid. And that's means that if you have a small genome, you have a small, small cells. And small cells have higher metabolism. So it's all connected. It's, it's, a, it's hard. It's hard to, to get everything. That's right. Uh, inheritance is in a large deal a DNA sequence, but it's not only DNA sequence which is inherited when cells divide. It's the, the way the chromosomes are built, their arrangement, uh, the pattern of methylations and a whole lot of things. So just just uh, recreating every possible factor that would bring back things. It sounds like very difficult to me. <laughs> Even if you had the preserved DNA from dinosaurs, which we don't. You know? People would say, oh, what if we found the DNA from dinosaurs? Can we just put that back into some chicken cells and remake a dinosaur? Well, no, because you would only have sequence data. You would be missing all of these arranged chromosome arrangement and epigenetic inheritance data. So, yes, sequences would not be enough. Well, let me jump in there, though, because I seem to remember reports that there was collagen purified from fossils and maybe even DNA. So is it really a, just out of the picture that we may be able to recover genetic material that could greatly illuminate the genetic makeup of what dinosaurs well, were. Well, collagen is a, is a tough uh, protein. And uh, there were uh, some nature papers that uh, said that uh, there were collagen recovered from dinosaurs. Uh, the sequences, uh, sequences of those collagen uh, peptides, let's say, it wasn't proteins, but some fairly good pieces of proteins, uh, they fell in the phylogeny where they had to be. They were uh, right next to birds. Okay, so it seemed like for a moment, it seemed like we had um, dinosaur proteins, collagen proteins. And I wouldn't say we don't, 
but there has been other more recent experiments where they basically miss uh, they basically made some ostrich <laughs> tissues go through some harsh fossilizing like conditions and then they they grabbed all these uh, peptides and tried to make a sequence of pro- and they obtained the dinosaur like proteins so they're basically saying it, it it's a bit of an artifact of how you piece back the from very small pieces you try to piece back a larger piece and if you do that in a certain way you may get a dinosaur like a, a dinosaur sequence that is not such okay that is not it's just artifactual it may look like something that is not an ostrich but it's just a very battered uh, ostrich collagen collagen protein that you've put up put back together incorrectly <laughs> okay i don't know if that sums it up so so those those uh, have been questioned since I ha- I'm not aware of those questions have been answered, but there is there is a very increasingly impressive examples of preservation of soft tissue cell structures in of dinosaurs. There's also been claims that you you, you can still ha- have the tissue there. You can actually pull it a little bit. It's flexible still. The cut, stuff like that. I don't know what's what has been the the what has happened with all of that? We've had, but but I would say that there, ever more impressive uh, tissue preservation and detail of cells and structures uh, coming up. So I wouldn't be too skeptical that we might get some uh, dinosaur proteins, bona fide, uh, maybe uh, of the tougher kinds of proteins. Uh, DNA is too delicate, and there's definitely no no claims of uh, any not even small strands of DNA. Uh, being recovered. You need a tougher molecule for that amount of millions of years. Yeah. Well, we are progressing a lot in an anci- uh, getting ancient DNA, but thousands of years. You know, anthropologists, physical anthropologists, people studying uh, megafauna, but we are talking here of millions, m- millions of years. So it's kind of much, much more difficult. Yeah, it's super difficult, but it's also super cool. And when you start looking at uh, modern techniques to help us understand how we got to where we are by comparing what was against what is, it's really a great place for discovery. So Dr. Alexander Vargas, Dr. Jao Boteo, thank you so much for joining me today on the Talking Biotech Podcast. This was a fantastic episode. I just love, so thank you. It was my pleasure. Thank you very much, Kevin. And thank you all the normal listeners to the Talking Biotech Podcast. Write those reviews on iTunes. What's really cool is we're catching people's attention. We're starting to grow to the point where we're being considered for other opportunities. That's a long story that we'll talk about someday soon. Um, But keep listening. Keep telling friends. Make sure that you're um, telling other people about the good things that we do here. So I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Talking Biotech Podcast. Go dig in the backyard for some fossils, and we'll talk to you again next week. The Talking Biotech Podcast reflects the personal views of Dr. Kevin Fulta and its guests. These are not the views of the University of Florida, its faculty, staff, or students. But after all, it is science, so they probably are, but... It has to be clear that there is no university affiliation with this podcast, which is a damn shame, but I guess that's how it goes. 
So feel free to share this science communication effort. Recommend guests. And support us with a few shekels over on Patreon. We invest all funds back into promotion of the podcast to widen the audience, enhance production, and expand science communication efforts in many ways. Thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech Podcast. You've been listening to Talking Biotech, sponsored by Calabra, the platform that bridges the gap between siloed research tools. With Calabra's electronic lab notebook, scientists can work together in real time, sharing data and insights with ease. Revolutionize your research collaboration. Sign up for a demo today at calabra.app, C-O-L-A-B-R-A dot A-P-P.